This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jackson Vungani and here is what is coming up. Okay, there are pockets of normalization, but insecurity is there and it's very difficult in this situation to create pockets of peace and give people uh, some kind of sense of security. That is Yusuf Adam, a history professor at Eduardo Mondlane University in Maputo, who says northern Mozambique is, quote, nowhere close to peace. We have all this and more coming up on African News Tonight. Much of the focus at the United Nations General Assembly has been on Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the impact on the rest of the world, particularly the global food supply chain, with climate change and other issues drawing attention. I spoke with VOA's UN correspondent Margaret Bashir about the latest developments at the UN headquarters and what still might lie ahead. Now, Margaret, with the news that uh, Russia's President Putin is mobilizing 300,000 more troops for the war in Ukraine and uh, the referendum starting today in four partially occupied areas of the country, Ukraine has really been in the spotlight this week at uh, anger. Tell us what the leaders are saying and what are some of the actions they're taking? Well, he came in for a lot of condemnation and criticism this week at the United Nations, particularly on Thursday in the U.N. Security Council. There was a meeting of the 15 foreign ministers of the Security Council, and Russian Foreign Minister uh, Sergei Lavrov was there. And um, although he didn't sit through most of the meeting, he had a junior person in his seat, and he came only to deliver his remarks. Uh, But uh, most of the council members expressed uh, dismay about this referenda that's going on in uh, four partially Russian-occupied areas of Ukraine. The voting started on Friday, and uh, they're basically saying this is just a way of trying to annex uh, Ukrainian territory. So it was roundly condemned. And uh, even traditional friends of Russia, like China and India, expressed concern about the war, that it's continuing, the direction it's going in. They urged negotiation and peace talks. So uh, there's been a lot of concern here, particularly also because he mentioned uh, nuclear weapons in a roundabout way this week, uh, the threat threat of using nuclear weapons. The secretary general said that um, there, you know, it was it used to be unthinkable to even discuss this, and now it's it's coming up. So he said that's unacceptable. Uh, and the European Union is considering new sanctions on uh, Russia because of the referenda that they're holding. Uh, they're, they had an emergency meeting Wednesday night here in New York of their foreign ministers. So there's been a lot of uh, talk about. Russia and of the African nations, we're hearing a lot about the impact of the uh, results of the the escalation of the food crisis and the fuel costs and the economic crisis that have all been accelerated uh, by Russia's war. And Ghana's foreign minister Shirley Bachwe, she sits on the Security Council, and she said that uh, the cost of this war is high for parties all over the world. And she quoted her president, who said at uh, during his General Assembly speech this week that every bullet and every bomb that hits a target in Ukraine hits our pockets. And so she said we must act with diplomacy to end this war. So lots of Ukraine in the news. But what else has been on the agenda at Anger this week besides uh, Ukraine? 
Right. So lots of other things have been going on, and they may not be seizing the headlines, but there's been a lot of action. On uh, Wednesday, President Biden of the United States held an event to replenish the Global Fund for Tuberculosis, Malaria, and HIV-AIDS, and they raised an amazing $14.25 billion to replenish that fund, which seeks to reduce, reduce deaths from these three uh, diseases. And uh, there was also, the U.S. also announced $2.9 billion in humanitarian assistance to various countries for the global food crisis. And on Thursday, uh, there was a high-level meeting about the situation in the Sahel, and uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres said that it's, it's a, a global threat, that if nothing is done about the effects of terrorism and violent extremism and organized crime in that region, it'll be felt far beyond Africa. And so he said we must rethink our approach and go beyond existing efforts and find bold solutions to uh, alleviate the situation in the Sahel. And briefly, there's still two more days of speeches ahead. What should we watch for? On Saturday, Ethiopia's deputy prime ministers uh, speaking in the General Assembly. We'll hear from Mali's acting prime minister, Mozambique's prime minister, uh, also Russia and China's uh, foreign ministers will speak on Saturday. So there's a lot happening on Saturday. And then on Monday, it'll wrap up. But we'll hear from North Korea and Myanmar, which uh, are also two countries with a lot going on. That was VOA's UN correspondent Margaret Bashir speaking with me from New York. At the United Nations General Assembly today, the president of Burkina Faso's transitional government said the country needs international support to fight terrorism and bring stability. Paul Henry Sadogo Damiba, who led a coup in Burkina Faso in January, said his government is committed to addressing security and national reconciliation. The goal is to return to an elected government in 2025. Conscient de leurs responsabilités, les autorités de la transition sont parvenues le 3 juillet dernier. Tamiba says the transition authorities reached a compromise on July 3rd with the Economic Community of West African States on a 24-month transition period starting July 1st, 2022. He said that agreement includes the need to put in place a mechanism for monitoring and evaluating the transition. The instability in Burkina Faso is seen across much of the surrounding Sahel region. Yesterday on the sidelines of the UN meeting, Secretary Antonio, Gen- Antonio Guterres met with leaders from Sahel nations and others to discuss solutions to years of extremist violence. Guterres said the UN is ready to act alongside Sahel nations to achieve peace and prosperity in the region. Fayon Claire. La crise sécuritaire au Sahel représente une menace mondiale. Si rien n'est fait, les effets du terrorisme... Guterres says the security crisis in the Sahel is a global threat. If left unchecked, he says the effects of terrorism, violent extremism and organized crime will be felt far beyond the region and the African continent. For more on the UN General Assembly, be sure to check out voaafrica.com and voanews.com and you'll find more reporting on the Assembly on all of VOA Africa's radio and TV programs as well as, as, well as our social media pages. In New York, Nigeria's President Mohamedou Buhari says he's committed to ensuring next year's general election is free and fair. 
Speaking during the debate at the United Nations General Assembly, the president also expressed concern about African leaders who he says amend their constitutions to overturn established term limits. For more on Buhari's speech and promise to leave a legacy of free and fair election, BOA's Peter Cloti sat down to speak with presidential spokesman Garba Shehu. We had challenges with security. This is not only about Nigeria. It's uh, something that has affected all of the countries, you know, in the Sahel and uh, sub-Saharan Africa. We have had our own share. We now have a handle on it. We're dealing with it, and we hope between now and the election, it will be history. And uh, there, is, there are a number of major infrastructure projects, bridges and roads, and rail, that he's fully committed to. And he wants to deliver on those instructions. So the president wants to be remembered when he leaves for the massive infrastructure deficit that he has, he has uh, changed and also for instituting the true culture of democracy, of true succession. Now, Shiru, what do you say to some of his critics and opposition people are saying that the security situation has gotten bad, it's chaos, kidnapping, banditry, and that Boko Haram and other militant groups are called, are wrecking havoc, kidnapping people, attacking uh, uh, trains. What do you say to that? Look, let me tell you, one of these incidents is the hardest and the firmest clashes. If you go back to pre-independence literature, even the colonial, British colonial administration had dealt with that. They found that there's a problem and they had dealt with it. President Buhari today has brought it to a closure because he has, he has gotten governors around the table. They had agreed to introduce ranching, you know, to reform, you know, agriculture generally, including animal farming and all of that. So we're getting somewhere. Now, when he came, it was, Boko Haram was a big issue. It was bombing cities, bombing places of worship, mosques, churches. He couldn't worship in Nigeria. And these things had uh, got into the middle of Nigeria, was going to, towards uh, the coastal areas. So Boko Haram is on its last, standing on its, uh, you know, last leg, really. That, uh, they, they, are no, they, are no longer, they are no longer a sustainable threat you know, to the Nigerian state. Yeah, we have had incidents of kidnapping and uh, even those ones are being tackled head on. And uh, between now and the end of the year, this is the commitment we're getting from the heads of the military and the security agencies. The difference is already showing. We, we are not going to be a country that will say or pretend that there will not be any incident. In all nations of the world, there are crimes. Some of them are saying the president should have fired all his service chiefs because they have not served him well. He instructed them, arrest the situation, and they are not doing it. They say the president should have fired them, and that, how do you answer those criticisms? How many times will you be firing people from their jobs? And the critic who is saying all of that, what contributions have they made to bring security to Nigeria? I'm in particular saying... The military and everyone needs information in order to function where they are. They need the intelligence. 
if communities are silent and there are no criminals in their midst, if you have the best commanders in the country, the military in place, they cannot achieve anything because they need information, because criminals, all of these bandits, they live within our own communities. In fact, in some cases, they are even family members of some people. They know them. That was a Nigerian presidential spokesman Garba Shehu speaking with my colleague Peter Cloti. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Two organizations focusing on the conflict in northern Mozambique say the Islamist militants known as Al-Halusuna Wal Al-Jamar are far from a spent force. The Institute for Security Studies and Mozambique's Judicial Training Institute say Southern African and Rwandese troops have killed and captured a lot of fighters linked to the Islamic State-inspired group in recent months. But they add the the extremists are now attacking places that were previously peaceful. Darren Teller has more. Human rights monitors say the militants have killed at least 4,000 people and displaced 800,000 since October 2017. Conflict erupted after deposits of oil, gas and rubies were found in Cabo Delgado province. Impoverished locals accuse the government in Maputo, along with foreign companies, of profiting from the wealth, but doing little to develop the region. Researchers say the dissatisfaction provided fertile ground for Alusuna to launch an insurgency. The militants often attack villages and towns where they kill people, sometimes by beheading. As Mozambican, South African and Rwandan troops have attacked terrorist bases in Cabo Delgado, so the extremists have targeted neighboring Nampula province, says Maputo-based security analyst Borj Namire. Nampula was always on high risk of being targeted because it is a recruitment hotbed for insurgents. We need to see if government is going to manage to stop the attacks. But also we must consider that this might be just a strategic move to the group to disperse the force that we have on the ground so that they can continue operating in northern capital guard. But the risk that the expression might continue is always there. Yusuf Adam, a history professor at Eduardo Mondlane University in Maputo, says northern Mozambique is nowhere close to peace. Okay, there are pockets of normalization. But insecurity is there and it's very difficult in this situation to create pockets of peace and give people uh, some kind of sense of security. What is happening in Nampul at this moment is groups and groups of people trying to run away from the areas where war has erupted. Adam says it's a big mistake to think that the jihadists are almost defeated just because their recent attacks have been smaller and simpler. People are uh, saying, ah, you know, before they were 400, 300, now they are 20. Yes, guerrilla groups, it's their business to do guerrilla. Sometimes they act in groups of five, sometimes in groups of 50, sometimes they get together to make a big operation. Namire says Alusunua continues to be reinforced with a steady stream of hardened militants from across Africa.
We have several who have been arrested and we know the names of the main leaders. So Tanzanian, Ugandan, Kenyan, from Congo, all of those are somehow present in Capital Guard where the training or the leading them in Mozambique or just taking some Mozambican to be trained abroad and come back with just disinformation. He says an important figure driving violence in northern Mozambique at the moment is Islamic State Field Commander Ibn Omar. In early August, Washington classified Ibn a specially designated global terrorist. According to Namire, the IS fighter has also planned and executed attacks in DRC, Tanzania and Uganda. He says terror groups use key operators like Ibn who move between countries. As we see in lectured regions, Nigeria, Chad, Cameroon. We go to Sahel, we see Mali, Burkina Faso, and other countries. So in Mozambique, is not different. We'll see Mozambique, uh, Tanzania, uh, maybe Uganda, and also South Africa. It's full of reports that how uh, some South African-based people are supporting the movement, or even fighting in, in Mozambique. Namure says the conflict will continue unless regional and international support for Alusuna through financing and weapons supplies is cut off. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Uganda's Minister of Health has confirmed seven cases of Ebola, including four deaths this week, along with seven other deaths that are being investigated. The 24-year-old man who died had developed a high fever, diarrhea and abdominal pains and was vomiting blood. Reports say the man was initially treated for malaria in a hospital in Movende district, but was later diagnosed as having contracted the rare Sudan strain of the Ebola virus. Dr. Diana Atwine is the permanent secretary in Uganda's Ministry of Health. She tells me that this is the second time that Sudan strain has been registered in Uganda. Atwine also says the available Ebola vaccines are for the Zaire strain, but the government was in talks with the WHO to allow deployment for the Sudan strain. Yeah, it is true that so far we recorded seven uh, cases uh, that we are taking care of in our hospital in uh, Movende. And um, our teams are still investigating the possible cause and where it would have come from. What is very difficult is that um, this, 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 these are family members that that could have got infection and then that's where could have been the index uh, case. But because we did not test them and we cannot confirm, but with the pattern is, is like it is like uh, of Ebola because it affected mainly the cluster of one family um, and also the people who are in contact with some of those people, um, we are some of them, although they don't have any, any symptoms, we are still observing them to see whether they will de- develop the symptom. And what is the status of the contact tracing so far? And are you worried that the situation could uh, get out of hand? We have between 40 and 45. Uh, some are, uh, we are still uh, following up on the phone. They had traveled. Um, but we are observing them, and, and so we are still doing the, the contact tracing, and also the ones that are having the, the symptoms, we are treating them, but we have isolated them. 
So we shall be updating you as we, 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 we see the, the evolving situation in the country. But right now, there is no cause for alarm because we have not, um, from Monday, we have not really rejected more deaths. And the fact that um, the other people had died, and if it was really extensively in the community, maybe we'd be experiencing right now mm. more deaths. But we are still observing, and we, we shall be able to update you as we go along. Dr. Twine, does your ministry know where this gentleman got infected from and the kind of strain that he's infected with? Um, yes, the Ebola that we got uh, in Uganda this time is Ebola Sudan. This is a rare strain. Uh, this is the second time we are, we are registering it in Uganda. Uh, to, we have tried to establish where this, uh, this person could have gotten this infection. He's a, he's a, he's a business person. He had a shop, um, he, he, he had a retailer shop, which is visited by anybody. It could have been maybe through money exchange or because he had not traveled anywhere. So we, we are really trying to, it is very difficult right now to, to tell you um, where the source is. Um, but hopefully our epidemiologists who are on the ground trying to gather all the possible information will be able to come back and, and tell us the possible source of the infection. And are there any plans by the government to deploy some of uh, the available Ebola vaccines in this area? Um, the vaccine that we have in the country for Ebola was, uh, was tested based on the strain of Zaire. It, it was not for, or for Sudan because this Sudan strain is a rare one. But we are discussing with the World Health Organization and the responsible agencies to see whether um, we, could, we could also uh, try this because it has been found to be safe, um, but that is, that is a possibility we are also weighing to, to, but we are still in discussion with the World Health Organization. That was uh, Dr. Diana Atwine, the Permanent Secretary in Uganda's Ministry of Health, Speaking me by phone from Kampala. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. For all latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voanews.com. gather in New York for the annual United Nations General Assembly. Count on VOA to be there, delivering news you can trust on radio, TV and the web. A free press is essential. VOA Africa, your trusted source for news and information. Well, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up and 
Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Ndombolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays 